Salam and good evening to you, worthy friend. Please, please come closer. Too close, a little too close. There. Welcome to Agrabah, city of mystery, of mm. enchantment. At the finest merchandise this time ever shown on sale today. Come on down. <laughs> Master, I don't think you quite realize what you got here. So why don't you just ruminate while I illuminate the possibilities? Well, in upper hand, them 40 fish here is I had a thousand tails. Well, Master, you in luck, cause obviously you got a brand of magic never fails. You got some power in your corner now, some heavy ammunition in your camp. You got some punch, pizzazz, yahoo, and how. See, all you gotta do is rub that lamp. And I'll say, Mr. Relancer, what will your pleasure be? Welcome, you few good men, to Geek Salad, episode 231. There's no crying in podcasts. <laughs> From the Geek Salad podcast, I'm Andy. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Catherine. And tonight we are finally tackling the uh the movies of 1992 this one took a while for us to get to um for i think for a number of scheduling reasons and whatnot we usually do these in the summer but uh now is when we decided to do it now is the winter of a discontent yes right right before christmas so it just means we have to squeeze in a, a fast christmas episode that shouldn't be a problem. Now, I, I don't think I don't think so either. So yeah, we are going to be um, we are going to be talking about our favorite movies from uh, from the year 19, uh, the year of our Lord nineteen ninety two. We are going to be discussing um, a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to be talking about the top ten. We're going to be going into our social media, which is actually how we're going to start kicking this whole thing off so let me pull up some of the great social media uh first we are going to be having um throughout the the broadcast uh two things we are going to be having some feedback from our friend steve who always comes back to text me because i can't save it anywhere um his thoughts on some of the movies of 1992 and Throughout today, the, the next two episodes, because this is a two-parter, uh, we are going to be joined uh, on a couple of movies by our good friend M at the Verbal Diorama podcast, who could not be with us here. So I have pr- I, I last week um, met up with her via Skype, and we got together and discussed a few of her favorite movies of the year. So we'll be giving her shout-outs across the board. So. Hey, I'm so happy that you could we, it, the streak is alive. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> we made it so, happen. So let's get started actually with something that Steve said first before he gets into the movies. He says, let me start with a delightful personal anecdote. 1992 was the first uh, f- uh, the year I first featured in the lead role of not one, but two high school AV fil- uh, club student films. The first was an adaptation of The Odyssey, and the other was my friend Bobby's passion project, Highlander 3, Off With Your Head. We actually, <laughs> made, we actually made use of real swords and pyrotechnics. Now, if you're wondering, golly, four teenagers setting off fireworks and swinging real swords at each other in the suburban backyard of broad daylight, and nobody called the cops? <laughs> All I can say is that 
is what white privilege looks like. Yeah, I was going to say, if you didn't, that was going to. Yeah, that is uh, seriously. In, in 1992, a 15-year-old could just go shoot off fireworks and swing and, uh, you know, swing off his uh, stuff. So, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. In the, that came out very wrong. It did, and I apologize. Swing around to some stuff there, you know? Some stuff. He has sword and whatnot. So. Grabbed his big yeah. sword and swung it around. <laughs> so let's get started with some of our social media. Um, I want to start with a friend of the show, Dave McLean, who says that this is admittedly not the big year. It lacks the power of both 93 and 94. However, Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs is about as good a directorial view as anyone could ask for. Let's go over it. Where are you? I stand outside and guard the door. I don't let anybody go in or go out. Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown waits in the car. He's parked across the street. It's like in the signal, then he pulls up in front of the store. Mr. Blonde and Mr. Blue. Crowd control. We handle customers and employees. That girl's ass. It's sitting right here on my dick. <laughs> I, I also have a soft spot for, uh, in my heart for a river runs through it. If only because Norman McLean is enough like my actual father to make me feel like I'm watching a home movie. <laughs> that's that's really sweet. I don't think I've ever actually seen A River Runs Through It. I've seen Reservoir Dogs about fifty times though. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen A River Runs Through It. I have watched Reservoir Dogs once, I think. Oh, I've it's... never seen either. I've 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 watched Reservoir Dogs quite a few times because. Early in our relationship, uh, Diane was a huge Tarantino head. Yeah. So we so we watched uh, we watched it a few times. Yeah, it's it is a it's an incredible heist movie. It really is because it's not about the heist itself. It's about what went wrong. Right. And, 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 and the entire time, so, Mike. <laughs> right. And the entire time you're sitting there trying to wonder, okay, who's 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 the traitor? Who's the guy who turned you know who, <laughs> who, who did him dirty? Yep. So, but yeah, even though, I, I, even though I love that movie. Obvious, yeah. The clues were all over the place. Oh, well, yeah. Well, they kind of reveal it also, like halfway through the movie. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic film, and honestly, you can see exactly where Pulp Fiction came from. Oh yeah. So. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, we've also got a friend of the show, Matt Jones. Who says, okay, 1992 movies. I'll bring up Sneakers, the Gary Sinise, John Malkovich version of, of Mice and Men. And, of course, Muppet Christmas Carol. And we will be talking a little bit about Muppet Christmas Carol as we go throughout our uh, discussion today. And Matt also writes, and you don't need to mention this on the podcast. I will, but you'll appreciate it. My favorite memory of 1992 in film was going to see The Crying Game. Not the movie itself, which was boring at best but i saw it in the old marlboro cinema with jim when the big reveal happened jim let out a groan of dismay that could be best described as primal one of the funniest moments i've ever had in the theater oh i can imagine <laughs> oh man the best you know the funny thing about that whole reveal in the crying game was it didn't get a wide release until after it got all those oscar nominations and yeah. Jay Davidson 
got nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and it completely ruined the surprise of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I didn't know where we were going when I finally watched it on VHS. Yep. Well, you, and the funny thing is, too, and this is just the state of, of, of movies in general when it comes to, like, on-screen nudity. You never see male nudity in, uh, like, full frontal male nudity in movies. Oh, so it's like – it's always like, wah! <laughs> I first saw yeah. full frontal male nudity in Monty Python's The Life of Brian. Yes, but it's yeah. but yeah, it's a rarity, was, though. That was at a distance. That was like – no. Wide pants. No, 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 no. It's you don't see male front, full frontal nudity in American movies. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah, main, yeah, mainstream American movies. Yeah, you don't see that. Yeah, no. I've I've seen some old old like sci-fi movies where you know the guy is like naked in bed. It's like, oh, hey, and it's like, yeah, we we are oh. a hung up country. Aha. Aha. So. Oh, thank you, Matt, for that. And yes, of course, I was going to tell that story. There's another great story involving Jim and the movies of 1992, and I'll <laughs> tell it now because otherwise it's not – you know, it's going to feel weird telling it like in part two. But um, at, we were doing the, – the drama group that we were in was doing Anything Goes, and after rehearsals, we decided we were all going to drive out to Natick, which is about you know half hour away from Hudson, and go see a League of Their Own. But League of Their Own was sold out. So we're like, okay, what can we see? And we looked on the on the marquee. It's like, well, Jim said that Boomerang, starring Eddie Murphy, was a good movie. Let's go see that. Oh God. Um, to, to cut to the chase, uh, Jim was greeted at the next rehearsal with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> Jim, Jim lied. He lied to you. Oh my God! It is one of the worst Eddie Murphy movies I've ever seen because it is a pure ego-driven project. And that's saying a lot. So yeah. Sounds like Norbert. But yeah, well, Norbert is just like, dude, you you had the Academy Award in your hand, and you threw it away with this stupid thing because you had to release Norbert during voting season. Yep. Oh. So then we've got um, – we're going over to Twitter now, and uh, Mike, your gal, Jana, at uh, Jade 73 uh, replied with, my cousin Vinny, Marissa Tomei's breakout role. You're acting like you're nervous or something. Well, yeah, I am. What are you nervous about? I'm the one that's under the gun here. Trial starts tomorrow. You want to know what I'm nervous about? I'll tell you what I'm nervous about. I am in the dark here with all this legal crap. I have no idea what's going on. All I know is you're screwing up, and I can't help. You lent me a little camera, didn't you? Oh, Vinny, I'm watching you go down in flames, and you're bringing me with you, and I can't do anything about it. And? Well, I hate to bring it up because I know you got enough pressure on you already. But we agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. Meanwhile, ten years later, my niece, the daughter of my sister, is getting married. My biological clock is ticking like this. And the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. Hmm? Sister oh, act. God, you, yeah, you that's right. She won. What's that? You don't realize how old some of these movies Like my cousin Vinny, I didn't realize it was 1992. Yeah. He's I, so I, do you for that? I saw that one in theaters. Wow. Now, do do you all subscribe to the theory that um, Jack Palance 
had no idea who whose name was really on the envelope and just read the first American name he could pronounce. <laughs> that has always been the theory because he was the one he was old. Was that the year, was that the year he did the push-ups in front of, in the uh, No, the, no, that was the that was the year he won best supporting actor for City Slickers oh, the yeah. year before. Okay. You, you know what? I I don't buy that too much to mean because I think Marissa Tomei did earn that Oscar. She oh, was she so did. good. Yeah, that, that, there wasn't a really good field for best supporting actress that year. No. No, there was not. But all right, so uh, yeah, so my cousin Vinny, and then uh, Jonna brings up one that we will be talking about a little bit in the top ten of the year, Sister Act, making nuns fun through song. Mm. A- another one that we're going to be talking about very soon, uh, League of Their Own, classic sports movies. Mm-hmm. Chelsea brings up Newsies, a toe tapper that people didn't know what to do with then. Now it's gone to Broadway. Look at them; they're the kings of New York. <laughs> That's a Disney movie too, right? Isn't it? Yeah. It is a Disney movie starring Christian Bale. Yeah, a very young Christian Bale, and it very bombed cool. horrifically. It just, it's just because I, I always think, you know, I, I always think of Christian Bale's like first big role was in like Memento, not. I keep, I keep forgetting about Newsies. Well, I mean, yeah. technically, technically speaking, his uh, first big role was Empire of the Sun. Oh, that's true. Great true but, but then it went on to be uh, yeah new, new uh, well newsies went off to be a big hit on broadway though they like revived it as a as an actual live musical and mm-hmm. now it's like it's like a big summer and teen musical thing steve also mentions um uh, newsies when he says whatever girls feel when they watch movies that aggressively cater to the male gaze is what i felt when i saw nudie newsies <laughs> I, I know, I know. Uh, it, you know, King the Kings of New York is uh, like the big song from that one. But I know John's favorite song is actually "Carrying the Banner." Okay, she loves that song. I'm not familiar with it. I, I know that there's a live version on Disney Plus. I think the movie's on Disney Plus as well. It just it's it's coming around locally as a as the teen production. So I might be sitting through it a lot. I don't know yet. Only time will tell. <laughs> I, oh, I mean, yeah, I listened to it after she mentioned it because I believe she mentioned it during um, our when we did the countdown for our uh, Disney songs. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think she and, may and, have. Yeah, and I put in a clip of it at that point, and so I had to listen to the song. It actually is a good song. Okay, it's Alan Menken. So yeah. I mean, Alan Menken's not a hack. No, so. no not by any no. stretch. All right, so Jonna brings up one other movie, and uh, this is a movie that she says is a holiday classic. There's only how many sleeps till Christmas. It's The Muppet Christmas Carol, which I did talk to Em about. So we're going to talk a little bit about A Muppet Christmas Carol. I would say it's probably up there as one of the best Christmas movies ever made. and this might be controversial, but it is the best adaptation of Charles Dickens that exists, and that is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Daddy! Woo! Ah! Oh! 
Merry Christmas, girls. Merry Christmas, Peter. Merry Christmas. Uh, children, children, children. Oh, now, now it's time to set the table. Go ahead. Wait for me. Merry Christmas, Emily. Oh, Merry Christmas, Gretchy. Oh, Emmy. Oh, oh, I fell down the chimney and landed on a flaming hot goose. You have all the fun. Yes, and you will get a lot of agreement with uh, Catherine. Will definitely be bringing this one up. Yeah, good, because it's absolutely incredible. I I love everything about it. I love the fact it's the, the irreverence of it, the humor of it, the sincerity of it. Um, I love the Muppets. I've always loved the Muppets, but this is probably one of those. Muppet movies that I think will stand the test of time forever, despite the changes that Disney have made to it, where they've like removed the rods and all of that, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, it's going to be re-released this Christmas for its 30th anniversary. It's going to have the missing song in. Um, it's an incredible performance by Michael Caine. He is Ebenezer Scrooge. There is no one, no one who can do Scrooge like him. And the fact that he's acting alongside the Muppets, I just, oh, I'm going to put a big spoiler out there. And I'm going to say this movie is coming to Verbal Diorama this Christmas. And I can't be more excited about that because I adore this movie so much. And I just want to know, I know how they did it, obviously, but I just want to tell people how this movie was made because it's an absolute masterpiece of practical puppet work and human actors and everything just coming together so perfectly. I, I can't say enough great things about The Muppet Christmas Carol. I put it on every Christmas. My nephew loves it. And it's just, it's a piece of art, frankly. Yes, I I love this. This is one of my all-time favorite Muppet movies. Yeah. Um, it's... It just it, it just hits all the boxes, and you know you mentioned Michael Caine. Michael Caine, for someone who had already won an Academy Award, doesn't look embarrassed to be there. He he went full in yeah. with this, and that's what you need. You need an actor who is quite happy to just yeah, I'm going to work with Muppets, and I'm going to love it, and I'm going to have the best time, but I'm also going to be Scrooge. And honestly, I just need to say at the end of the movie. And it's not a spoiler because everyone knows the story of Christmas right. Carol, I'm sure. But, you know, at the end where they all come together. Oh, quite okay, I nearly, <laughs> nearly broke a plate. I was so excited. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> when they all come together at the end and they're all around the table and Michael yes. Caine's got a huge smile on his face. And it's just like, oh, it just it's it's the joy of Christmas right there. Having everyone around the Christmas table, everyone smiling, happy, enjoying Christmas. And it's just there. It's like it's like concentrated joy in a movie right there. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it is. It is a lovely film. I am looking forward to the fact that they're bringing the restored version back to Disney Plus this year. Yep. So the love is gone will finally be, in, you know, included, which is going to be yeah. very exciting. Yeah. All right, so what do you all think of A Muppet Christmas Carol? Well, it's me. 
So <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll let the expert take the take the lead. Frank. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I watch, um, I have it on DVD and I have like, you know, a DVD from a, a while back. Yeah, again, first of all, it's a DVD and I listen to it. I, I watch it on the, uh, the full screen version because that's the version that has the song that got cut from the theat, like eventually from the theatrical release version. And, uh, which, uh, uh, Mike tells us we'll be back They're They are finally reinstating yeah. it because. About a week and a half from when we from after we record this, um, the uh, version that we'll get the full version on Disney Plus with When Love Is Gone. Yeah. Cannot wait. Like, yeah, the fact that they cut it, it's like, why would you do that? It's it it's important to the scene, it's important to the story, and you kill the reprise. <laughs> oh yeah, right. the, the the story yeah, that um we that John and I heard um uh brian henson talk about at d23 was great because basically they said oh, we'll we'll just cut it for the theatrical and then we'll put it back in for the video and then they lost it yeah no it was, uh. it, it was in like the vhs i had or something but i i feel like i saw it in the theatrical version but maybe i'm wrong but it's like the the the, the it doesn't make sense that scene doesn't make as much sense without that song the reprise mm. is not a reprise because you're not reprising anything. Right. Right. But as it, is. It, right. And the weird thing is, is that the, when when Michael Caine starts singing "The Love Is Found," it just it's like it's it it's oddly placed because it, yeah. it it definitely sounds like a reprieve. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's so. a reprise. And because they cut it, uh, it it doesn't work. So, but, but yeah. Other than that, though, so, the movie is incredible. Yeah, yeah, oh, they yeah, it, absolutely. They, they cut it for quote pacing, but it's like no, no, you need that moment. That's a really telling moment in the character's arc, and yeah, the the yeah, yeah. the whole story about how it's like. We were, you know, they approached Michael Caine for the role, and he was like, "Well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it straight, and I'm not going to treat them like Muppets. I'm going to treat them like people, and I'm not going to be goofy." And they're like, "Perfect." That hey, exactly it works here. It works. He did such a great job with that. Um, yeah. By the way, Steve also wants to mention the Muppet Christmas Carol. It marks the point where no, where no other adaptation was going to top it. So please, for the love of God, stop making them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, for me, the only how the only version that doesn't it doesn't top it, but it comes like maybe side by side as far as a straight version goes is the Patrick Stewart version. That's a pretty good version. But um, like, if you just want like a, kind of a, a straight but with comedy, Muppets is top of the not top of the pile. It is so good. Um, Michael Caine playing it straight works. All the jokes are fantastic. Um, and you know, this, this one was, this one was really kind of make or break for the Muppets because this is the first movie after Jim died. And so yeah. they had, they had yeah. to come out swinging and hit, you know, hit it for the fences. Cause otherwise they were like, Muppets were probably going to not be around much longer. Right. Right. And it, it, it definitely shows it's, it's a shame that this movie didn't do better. 
Hmm. And it's to me, it's always weird that if you think about it, most Muppet movies are not huge hits, and they they by every right should be, but they have a they have a, a lasting legacy behind them. Yeah, they, that, they they don't make a big splash in theaters, but people just were yeah. like, "I'm gonna watch that again. I'm gonna watch that again." Right. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're due, especially. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off. I'm gonna wait until the. Uh, Next for you know the the updated extended Snyder cut version of it comes out. It's gonna be great. And uh, and the the back and forth between Rizzo and Gonzo is it, that is really the thing that makes that the version especially work. Yeah. Yes. That, that's I agree. Of, also, one of the few versions where you have a narrator. Yeah. You don't often actually get some of the original Charles Dickens language in right. the story so like a lot of the movie versions cut that part out so you don't get things like as solitary as an oyster or other things that are from the book hmm. which right makes it, which right. still makes it one of the most uh faithful adaptations as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah they they do they do their muppet goofiness but they also have more of the original dialogue hmm. right so I think this is a, a fantastic version. We we've actually we've done an individual uh, review of this one a couple of years ago on our YouTube channel with yeah. Catherine. So yep, it's a it is great. So let's move on to uh, finish up our our social media feedback here. We've got Perpetual Cinema at Perpetual Cinema who says Noises Off, one of the best comedy casts ever. I agree with that. I think that movie is fantastic. And then, oh, you don't know? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's based on a play, but the action happens on stage and then backstage. You see all these shenanigans happening. Um, it stars uh, Christopher Reeve and uh, oh, good lord, why am I blanking on everybody now? Michael Caine, Julie Haggerty is in it. Ooh, um, huh? Oh, Burnett. Carol Burnett's in it. Yeah, thank you. Carol Burnett's in it. Uh, there's just it, it's it's a it's a brilliant cast. Uh, Marklin Baker is in it as the um, John, as John the stage Ritter. manager. Huh? John Ritter. I'm, 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 John, John Ritter. That's right. I'm sorry, John Ritter. Yeah, I was trying to remember the the two lead males. Um, but it is a fantastic movie. Actually, we were under the impression that that might have been our the first play to go up at the theater group that autumn and i work with um so we watched the movie it's like i gotta get my hands on this script and then they didn't do that one but you know maybe one day um uh, tom from perpetual cinema also brings up sneakers a highly underrated film they started the trace where is this please it's my dime i'll ask the questions who are you let's say my name is mr abbott they made the second leg. Mr. Abbott, are you interested in SeaTech astronomy? I'm interested in all kinds of astronomy. Cute. They've got the satellite in Tokyo. These guys are good. I need to know if you're someone who can make a deal. Go on. Can you deal? Yes. True. True. They're across transcom. You've got about 20 seconds, Bish. If I come in with what I know, can you guarantee my safety? Do you have the item? No. 15 seconds. Can you guarantee my safety? Where is the item? Can you guarantee my safety? 
Five seconds. Yes, I can guarantee your safety. Fish, he's lying. Hang up, they've almost got us. He's lying. Hang up, Fish. He's lying, he's lying. Hang up. I am I fairly people. certain. I'm fairly certain I watched it once, but I have no memory of it. So that means drugs or alcohol. I, I've seen it. I've seen it more than once. Um, I, it's been a very long time since I last saw it, though. But I do remember enjoying it immensely. Yeah, it's it, it's one I should watch again. It's it's. I don't know how awful it's dated because it's a tech. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a tech thriller. But I mean, the cast is second to none. I mean, it's oh yeah, it's you know Ben Kingsley, Robert Redford. Um, Mary, it's one of uh, River Phoenix's last roles too. Yeah, um, Dan Aykroyd's in it. Mary McDowell, um, and um, Sidney Poitier's in this one, I believe. Hmm. Huh. Oh, oh, yes, right. yes, he is. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, the tech is obviously going to be a bit dated. <laughs> But you know, it's probably gonna be about as dated as uh, not maybe not as dated as hackers, but uh, but it was still oh. it was still such a solid movie. Yeah, I, I gotta go. I'll, I'll I'll see if that's streaming somewhere, and I'll try to find that. Hmm. So we've got some more here. We've got uh, Capes on the Couch at uh, Capes on the Couch. Uh, 1992 saw the release of a comedy so iconic it would change the face of cinema forever. Stop. Or my mom will shoot. <laughs> Definitely watch this one on VHS back in the day. Time I'll never get back. Uh, hell, my br- my brother in Christ, my sweet summer child. I paid movie money for this. <laughs> um, the only I, I've never seen stuff my mom will shoot, but the only thing I know about, it, and I know this because my buddy Eric that I work with, and uh, he is a big, the biggest Sly Stallone fan, and apparently. Sly Stallone um, lobbied to get this role because he was uh, he was had a, a big huge rivalry with Schwarzenegger at the time, and Schwarzenegger yeah. read the script and then um, jokingly spread around spread news around that he wanted to be in it. So to kind of entice Sly <laughs> to be in Sly to take the movie instead. I can't believe you fell for that. <laughs> You're exactly. so stupid. Ah. <laughs> uh. So um, we've also got Jesse B at JBIS, who says death becomes her and toys. Uh, I, I, I paid movie money for death becomes her. And I, I don't know if I ever watched it again, but I do think about that movie sometimes. That one was weird. It's, it is an odd one. I know it's it's one of those things. I remember watching the special, seeing the special effects, and just being blown away by how cool they were. I, yeah, it was, it was wild. I think I might have seen it once on TV. It's not one I've ever actually. I, I don't. I recall vividly watching though. Yeah, it's really good. Steve says that anyone else remember watching Death Becomes Her and wondering why they cast Bruce Willis in a comedy? Well, I mean, that's where you guys start. Yeah, he's, he's a... No, I, I didn't wonder why he was in a comedy. Yeah. Well, it's, well he, 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 he,
Yeah, that's true. But he was just supposed to be a smug asshole in that, not you know what we got in Death Becomes Her, where he's kind of nebbishy throughout the whole movie. Yeah. So, uh, how about toys? Has anybody seen toys? Yes. <laughs> Honestly, yes, I when do. I saw toys, I was like, wait, is that that Richard Pryor movie? But that's the toy. So no, I don't know. I've never seen the movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I'm thinking, I'm not thinking toys. I'm thinking toy soldiers. Okay. Yeah. No toys is with Robin Williams. Uh, it's, it's one of these big budget, like they didn't tell you anything in the trailer. So, you're supposed to just think it's this whimsical Robin Williams movie, and it's confusing as shit. It doesn't make any sense. It's it, it's just it is what we would refer to as the French would refer to as an expensive bomb. So, yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it was nominated for a Razzie for worst director, and it lost to David Seltzer for Shining Through. Ooh. Ooh, that's that's rough. Shining, Shining Through is supposed to be like a big important movie, and it just wasn't. It received Oscar nominations for art direction, losing to Howard's End, and cost nine, losing to Bram Stoker's Dracula, which we'll get to in a minute. We'll get to it in a little bit, yeah. Um, all right, then moving on, our final one here. We've got Nerd in Texas podcast at. Nerd in Texas. They say, so I was younger, but I had older brothers, so I watched uh, the kids and more mature movies. Uh, so many good movies came out that year. It was Peak Polly Shore, and they were referring to Encino Man. <laughs> Polly Shore having a peak. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it is honestly the best Polly Shore movie. It's also the first Polly Shore movie. Yeah, Andy, that, that's not really saying much. Nepotism is a hell of a drug. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> so let's let's move on then to our top ten. Okay, which is usually how we kick off our, our part one on these episodes. Anyway, uh, what I did was I went the 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 results that you get here are from Box Office Mojo uh, for the in in year releases. And these are domestic uh, – this is domestic gross, okay? Because it was 1992. We didn't give a shit about worldwide yet. Yep. <laughs> and we're, we're going to start uh, with a little movie that Em and I talk about called A League of Their Own. I think a thing I love about A League of Their Own is it, it, it brings together so many things that I really love. It's obviously a very female-focused movie, which is mm -hmm. the first thing that I really love. Uh, it puts women front and centre. It's also based on a true story. Uh, you know, the fact that the All-American um, Girls Professional Baseball League, they were a real thing during the war. It's not completely accurate um, because these movies never are completely accurate. But it's a <laughs> decent enough representation of these girls. And they. so the, the men were off fighting in the war and the women, they were staying at home. But they had to keep morale up at home, and so they played professional baseball. And it is a dramatization, you know. It's it's not a documentary, but I, it's one of those movies that I just simply love to put on and watch. I love the characters. I love that you get so invested into the characters and to their stories because 
it's obviously a period story. So it's set during the war and it's set during a time when women are basically expected to be wives and mothers and homemakers. And when their husbands return from the war, they're supposed to basically go back and do that. Um, there were no real uh, opportunities for women kind of outside of the traditional societal roles. And so for women to actually be able to go and play baseball and to find something that they love to do and to find companionship with these other women. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, it's a story about these two sisters. And, oh, it makes me cry so much all the time at the end. Yeah. All the time uh, when they reunite. I, I'm Gina Davis. Gina Davis can do no wrong. I adore her. Um, yeah, and this she, is Madonna's best role as well. I'm going to put it out there. All right. I heard it said last night. I was watching a thing on the um, kind of like the true history of the of the All American Girls Baseball League, and it was said that this is the only Madonna movie anyone would actually pay to see. <laughs> I mean, kind of, probably not wrong. Um, uh, do we count Dick Tracy? I guess, but. Dick <laughs> Yeah, Dick Tracy. I haven't seen Dick Tracy in a long time. It's one of those that I I need to rewatch really. Um, but this is a great movie. It's and as I said, I I'm it's no hyperbole as far as I'm concerned when I say that I think this is the greatest sports movie ever made because I really do think it's got all of the hallmarks of a great sports movie. It's got all of the hallmarks of a great period drama as well. Um, and it's. It's got women front and center, and also yeah. Tom Hanks playing against type. The this was the first time that he had really played, you know, after he'd kind of, you know, created that Tom Hanks persona. Yeah, and I think hands down, this is one of the greatest platonic man-woman relationships in the history of cinema. <laughs> Their Dottie and Jimmy's relationship is so good, and it's that. They have so much good chemistry together, and it's that bond of trust that he can just – he can be honest with her, and he can – you know, she'll push back, and he'll push back. And I thought that that was great. The scene with them on the bus when she asked why he couldn't fight in the war, and he says, I got no cartilage in my knees. You know, I don't need cartilage in my knees to pull a trigger, and it just was it's, – it's so wonderful, but – Tom Hanks's outbursts in that movie are are the things of legend. Yeah, it's and the thing is, is there's still memes about it. There's still gifs about it. You know, the whole yeah. no crying in baseball, and it's it's one of those movies that I think passes a lot of people by because maybe they're not interested in baseball. I'm not interested in baseball. I genuinely don't know the sport of baseball. The only thing I know about baseball is from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I've never been to a baseball game, but I think I'd really love. I really probably would love to go to a baseball game. Um, I, I, they don't yeah. play baseball here, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. But every every time I go to the baseball Hall of Fame, I've been about like five or six times. Every time I will go with my friends, and every time I will stand in front of Roger Hornsby's placard in the Hall of Fame. And I will quote Jimmy Duggan that Rogers Hornsby called me a steaming pile of shit in front of my family. And I didn't cry. There's no crying. (laughs) 
So it is it is a it is a lovely movie and um it is imminently quotable. Um you know, in fact yesterday we they showed a, a shot of John Lovitz and I said, Hey milkmaid, see that grass? Don't eat it. <laughs> so yeah, and you I have just, done epi- you've done an ep- an episode on a league of their own as well. I have, yeah. It was a, it was a while ago actually. It was one of my uh one of my earlier attempts, but um, it's interesting you mentioned about the relationship between um, the characters played by Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, because in the so basically originally they were supposed to get together. Uh, so the two characters were supposed to be romantic and that was all cut because they realised that having a romance and then obviously bringing her husband back in and everything, it just wouldn't work. So they kept yeah. it platonic and they kept it platonic and it works really well. Um, I also wanted to to briefly mention there's um, there was a TV series of A League of Their Own. It actually uh, debuted this year. Um, we yes. got it over here in the UK on Amazon Prime. Uh, the um, Same. Abby Jacobson headlined one. So okay. good. I thought that was incredible. I really, really enjoyed it. I haven't watched it, but our um, our, our viewing queue is getting a little thin. So uh, maybe perhaps I'll put that in my... Uh on the list yeah it feels like because obviously with a a two-hour movie you do get to know the characters but it feels like there's sometimes a bit of a disconnect between some of the characters in the movie Mm -hmm. whereas in the tv show it really goes into these characters but it also explores um women of color uh, as well um in the movie obviously you get one single scene with um, a black woman throwing the ball and that's all you see that's the the only women of color that you see in the movie but in the tv show they go into you know what it's like to be a black woman you know mm-hmm. during that time in america uh, what it's like to be um, a lesbian woman during that time in america um and just a really fascinating tv show that that has a lot of really interesting and important things to say um, I mean, obviously, it's it's not really comparable to the movie. I don't think it is a separate beast. But I would say if you like the movie, then I would say you'd like the show as well. Excellent. I will I will definitely give that a check. I will definitely check that out then. It's got, if it's got your endorsement, I will definitely check it out. So, what are your what are your thoughts on a league of their own? Yeah. Did you sell my baseball? Sure. There. Wow. Avoid the clap, Jimmy Dugan. Wow. That's good advice. I like this movie. It's a great oh, movie. It's an all-time classic, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Joe, it absolutely is. This. I it's believe- my second favorite baseball movie. Oh, God, yeah. Easily. It- I believe this was also wasn't this Penny Marshall's uh, follow up to Big? Me? No, no, she directed Awakenings. Oh, which, with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. Yeah, but, but I, it's I it, um, but especially it was for for a female director at the time to direct two movies that both made over a hundred million dollars was like unheard of. Yeah. That that is where that is where her claim to fame came from. This, yeah. Um, she this movie in and of itself. I mean, Em and I talked a lot about the 
uh, how great – this is like the greatest platonic relationship in movie history between Gina Davis and uh, Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's well, – something we didn't talk about was just the – just kind of like the emotion that you get from this movie. There's that scene where they're getting ready for the game, and the army yeah. – um, the army guy shows up, and he can't find the uh, the name of the person he's got to give the your husband was killed in the war to. And Hank's just and it yeah. was just oh, he, he it just, just the away from him. Yeah, but just has he had to walk to the player, and yeah. that was that was a really rough scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was well, it was definitely very well done, and the guy. The guy, like, being indignant and treating it like it was nothing. He's like, yeah, yeah. this is my job. And it's and Tom Hanks' character is like, get the fuck out of here, you asshole. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, can we just say just how inspired the casting was all around? Oh, yeah. Oh, everybody, absolutely. Everybody was perfect for the roles that they were playing. I mean, yeah, Tom, this was very early in Tom Hanks getting out of straight comedy and doing, like, real character yeah. work. Yeah, but this does. It's one of those movies, though, where we have to li- listen to him pee for like a solid minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have done without that part, but that's what it's like. We, we, you know, we have to watch. We have to watch Tom uh, Tom Cruise run in movies. We have to watch Tom Hanks pee in movies. Uh, and John Lovitz is in this movie for all of five minutes, and you love him in every single moment. Oh my God, <laughs> he he is so underutilized in this. But my fa- one of my favorite lines – there's a lot of great lines in this movie, yeah. but I love the – David Strathairn, who's like, hell of a game, Jimmy. I especially like that part of the seventh inning where you scratched your balls for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> now, I I got to ask this question because I asked it to my uh, some of my coworkers. Uh, did Gina Davis mean to drop the ball at the end? I don't I – don't, I think that competitive to the end that Kit turned out to be the better player because Dottie's heart wasn't in it as much as Kit's was. That's where I'm going. I'm going to, yeah. From my point of view, I think she dropped it on purpose. I I, I think she had it dead to rights, and I think she let it go because she didn't need it. Dottie did. Yeah. Yeah, that too. And she was yeah. just always looking up for her sister, even when her sister didn't realize it and was kind of a bitch. Um, yeah. Because younger child. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. She was always looking up for her, and she would she would never let be a baseball a baseball game get between them. Yeah, I I I really thought it was a. Um, I love this movie, and, yeah. and you know, and we, I know we all have another favorite baseball movie. Mine being Bull Durham. I know Mike's is Field of Dreams. Yeah, but oh, yeah. Bull, um, Bull Durham's number easily my number one. Yeah, it's it's just it's so inside baseball. But I, I do I love this movie. We actually like during the pandemic, I found this like through Amazon on sale. I'm like, I'm gonna buy a copy of this because I think my daughter would really love this, and she did. And she's not a sports fan at all. And she really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I don't love baseball at all, but I do enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on A League of Their Own before we move to number nine? 
Uh, it was when Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna met, and they became really good friends. Yes. This is also the only Madonna movie worth watching. I still think yeah. it's, it's both of their best um, performances. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, let's move on to number nine then, taking in $117.7 million in the U.S. box office, Basic Instinct. Do you have a cigarette? I don't smoke. Yes, you do. I quit. Congratulations. Thought you didn't have any cigarettes. Oh, I found some in my pocket. Would you like one? I told you I quit. It won't last. You working on another book? Yes, I am. It must really be something making stuff up all the time. Yeah, it teaches you to lie. How's that? You make stuff up. It has to be believable. It's called suspension of disbelief. I like that. Suspension of disbelief. A movie that Steve said, Basic Instinct is probably the first, but definitely not the last 90s movie, to have its lesbian sex scenes gutted by the MPAA, which is funny because the promise of girl-on-girl action was the only reason to see it, or Wild Things, or Showgirls, (laughs) or Bound. (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen it. Um, It is... I, I know some people like I know M did a, did an episode on it. I this movie is just it's it's Joe Esterhaus, so the writing is really just it's it's really on the no sexist. It's well, so it's leery because I I remember why I I actually I paid movie theater movie, uh, money to go see this, and I, I remember I went to yeah. see it with James James Sawyer, and nothing about it stands out to me. I mean, I saw, I saw, I think I saw it once, and really the only thing that stands out is that scene, and that's it. Yeah. And, you know, you know, being being a post pubescent teenager when I was watching, like, oh, okay, this is this is interesting, but yep. beyond that, I was like, okay, nothing about it stands out. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I saw it, but then I could... <laughs> well, the thing is that there was like a whole bunch of. Yeah, I saw this. It <coughs> fine. You could tell when there were body doubles. I was like, that's a body double. Yep, <laughs> exactly. That, that ass does not belong to that actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it's just like I, I felt like the dialogue was really ham handed. Um the it, it's just like even like the representation of like the girl on girl action was just like mm, you're forcing this. It's, it doesn't seem natural at all. It's just like, hi, I'm a hot woman. Here's another hot woman. Want to see us kiss? It's just like there's nothing yeah. humanizing about any of it. It's so like crossing scene shit. jeez. Uh, yeah, yeah, and. It, it it's it's a movie. It came out thirty years ago. It made money. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. People went to see it, and yeah, as often happens, I mean, it's like the, the top grossing movies are not the ones. Like we actually do remember some of them this year. Like there are many right. years the top grossing movies were like, yeah, nobody cares about that movie anymore. I mean, it, could, it can be said that this was kind of, I suppose, maybe Sharon Stone's star turn that kind of propelled her from being. It was. It absolutely yeah. was her star turn. This this movie made her. Right. Um, I mean, she had that she had that bit role in Total Recall two years before. That's right. how right. she knew who Paul. You know, that's how she met Paul Verhoeven, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who directed this one. But this um, is yeah, this is the movie that made turned her into a leading lady. Yeah, unfortunately, exactly. I think she kind of type, got typecast as the like the femme fatale, which yeah. it never bodes well. The Quick yeah, and the no. Dead movie. That's not bad, actually. I I really enjoyed that movie. Uh, no, but right, we've yeah, got no. a we've got a few years to talk about that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing out so. there. It's like if you want to see a good Sharon Stone movie. That's the one to watch. Yeah, that one. And you know, depending on your feelings of Scorsese, uh, Casino. She's she's okay in it. <laughs> she's okay. She's okay in it. She's okay. Yeah. That, All that, right. That, so more, Casino is more of a Bobby De Niro movie than it is a Sharon Stone movie. Oh, it's it's a Bobby De Niro Joe Pesci joint where Joe Pesci says the word fuck about fifteen times a second. So. <laughs> All right. Let's move on then to number eight, taking in one hundred twenty-one point six million dollars. Wayne's World. Listen, we need to have a talk about Vanderhoff. The fact is, he's the sponsor. And you signed a contract guaranteeing him certain concessions, one of them being a spot on the show. Well, that's where I see things just a little differently. Contractor, no. I will not bow to any sponsor. I'm sorry you feel that way, but basically it's the nature of the beast. Maybe I'm wrong on this one, but for me, the beast doesn't include selling out. Garth? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really sad. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. The movie that introduced everyone to Queens. Everyone was like... Wow, have you heard that new song by Queen? Oh, God. Which was funny. Yeah, when the movie came out, not too long after poor Freddie Mercury passed away. Freddie Mercury died in November of 1991. This movie came out in the, in the spring of 92. Yeah. So he was already dead. And it just – it's one of those things that it was the perfect storm of them releasing their greatest hits mm-hmm. and Bohemian Rhapsody – Becoming the, the, the signature scene of this movie. I mean, throughout the 90s, when this song came on, don't tell me you all didn't headbang during oh, yeah. the bridge. Oh, God, yeah. Learned to headbang. I hadn't even watched the movie, and I still headbanged. <laughs> it's just what you did. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and that's why they made a joke about it in the, uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, where uh, Mike Myers played the guy that's like, Nobody's gonna bang their head to this movie. <laughs> to the song. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's funny. Rocket Man's a better movie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving on. But yeah, the uh, still better. 
but Wayne's Wayne's World holds up. I, I did like I still have it on VHS and I popped it into my uh, yes I still have a, a VCR and we watched it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this movie when I saw it. I, it's been forever since I've seen it though, but it's like there are so few Mike Myers movies where he isn't unbearable playing to the camera. Yeah, you know. It's just like this was his first kick at being in, in an actual – leading an actual movie, and it's yeah. really good. I love – there's a shot in that movie that I absolutely love where um, they're at the, the club, and it's when you see Tia Carrera's uh, character for the very first time, and she's like jamming on the bass playing this hard rock version of Ballroom Blitz, and they cut to Wayne, and then they play Dreamweaver over it. And it's like that, you know, that dreamy, sing-songy song. But she's still like got that angry rock face as she's like, you know, singing and everything. It's the, the best like juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the the comedy really holds up. The 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 goofiness, like there's some yeah. jokes, especially like the the product placement. Those things were like very for that time, but. Everything else, like the the story and the comedy, really holds up and and tells like a, a you know, it's not too rel. Uh, yeah. Well, the whole, the whole the whole <laughs> gag with Alice Cooper, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I still pronounce Milwaukee as Milwaukee. <laughs> and just oh, yeah. wait till we get to Last of the Mohicans in part two, where I start referring to as Kentucky. So. <laughs> Yeah, remember he, he he he's got a fun story about like they were like at first they were like yeah you're just gonna show up and be do your thing and it'll be fine and then they were like actually yeah. we have this paragraph we want you to read and yeah. he was like oh and he just does it you know he was on the Muppet Show he can handle this it's fine I did not know that um it is <laughs> yeah it, Alice Muppet Cooper show. was fantastic in this however yeah, we, yes. have, we have to unmask Joe and reveal that he is old man Withers. <laughs> and you would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for us meddling kids that was something going on back there who is sneezing in the background is that joe or that mike nope that's my husband that's your husband oh okay so it was a joe who's yeah, also old man with her <laughs> Yeah, my, my husband, Old Man Withers, having been revealed, has now sneezed. Okay. Well, that mask. <laughs> so he is nothing to sneeze at. Ha-ha! Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoy this one. I should try to go back and watch this one. It's Watch it, watch it again. Rob Lowe does a great job. Tia Carrera, it's, she doesn't act much, but this one she did a pretty good job. Uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey do great. Like, everybody does a great job in this movie. Right. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on then to number seven on the list with $121.9 million, just edging out Wayne's World by $0.3 million, and that is The Bodyguard. Frank Farmer to see Miss Marin. What? Alexander Graham Bell to see Miss Marin. Bill said he used to be with the Secret Service. I was two years with Carter, four with Reagan. 
Franklin got shot. Not on my ship. All my colors. You don't look like a bodyguard. This is my disguise. <laughs> well, his timing's good. Henry, I've spent a lot of time guarding people all over the world, and I found one thing to be true. No matter how incompetent the assassins, no matter how much they miss their target, there's one person who always gets hit. Who? The cocky black chauffeur. You afraid I might get picked off from my snazzy ransom? No, I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to jog with you. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I will be a hundred percent honest with you. I've never seen this movie. All I know about this movie is that there's a song that Whitney Houston sings that was sung better by Dolly Parton, and yeah. Kevin Costner has the worst fucking haircut out of yep. all of his movies. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I've never seen it. Our bus driver got a radio in the like my my school my high school bus driver got a radio so that we could listen to like whatever radio station and this song was on all the fucking time and i hate it yep and yeah. i will always love you i've never seen this movie and i'd rather listen to dolly parton thank you very much yeah yeah. Oh, by the way, I did miss something from Steve about Wayne's World. My kids happened to be watching Wayne's World one day and asked me, wait, did this come out after The Office? It was then that I knew that our society was doomed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, about The Bodyguard, Steve says, I've mentioned how much I generally hated most movies from the 90s, but, and nothing quite displays that more than The Bodyguard <laughs> being uh, number seven on this list. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I have uh, nothing to say about this movie. It's just it was a star vehicle for Whitney Houston, um, and that's it. It's her big song. She couldn't reap the Oscar love from it because she didn't write it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, for all of you, if you're not already in the know, Dolly Parton wrote "I Will Always Love You" the same afternoon she wrote "Jolene." National oh, treasure, that one. Yes, she is. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's let's uh, talk about other godly folks here and go to number six with one hundred thirty nine point six million dollars. That is Sister Act. Yes, Mary Patrick. Reverend Mother, on behalf of all the sisters here at St. Catherine's, I'd like to offer a great big hi there and hello to Sister Mary Clarence. Hi. And as part of the welcome, I thought that maybe our new sister could offer today's blessing. Well, that is very thoughtful of you, Mary Patrick, but I really... Oh, yeah, yeah, I could could do that. Uh, Sure. Uh, Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts which we're about to receive. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of no food, I will fear... No hunger. Never watched it. Well, John mentioned this one. Okay, I've I saw this once, uh, mainly because at that point I was kind of tired of Whoopi Goldberg shtick. Fair. But mm-hmm. I, I will say, I'm so happy that this is the movie that really gave Kathy and Jimmy a time to shine because this is her yeah. first like notable role. 
Uh, Hocus Pocus was next year, right? Yes. Yeah. But there's, and there's she was in Soap Dish the year before, but she was a small part in that. She's so fun in this movie. Yeah, she's. Mm. It's fun. This is a fun little movie. This is another one that I've watched, rewatched, you know, a few years ago, and it is, it is, it is still a good time. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I have so much fun with this movie. I actually wa- uh, rewatched it not too long ago, and it's still. It's still really fun. Um, I mean the the like the mobster scenes are necessary, but they're not the best part of the the best part of the movie are seeing Whitney uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character try to you know deal with the with all the nuns and then you know growing her growing friendships with them and the songs yeah. actually, songs are actually really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's and I remember that it's it's a fun. It's a fun movie, and definitely it makes sense based on the fact that it, it, it comes under the Touchstone banner. Yeah. Yeah. That it's just – it's it's non-animated family fun. Yeah, the heart the heart of the movie works. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the tugging on your heartstrings parts of the movie, they actually work. They're not too forced. The, the actors portray it really well. And so, like, yeah, the – you you have to have the whole gangster thing because that's the plot that drives Whoopi's character to the nunnery. But right. once once you're there, like it, everything works. Yeah, yeah. It's essentially nuns on the run, except without the drag. <laughs> <laughs> no Robbie Coltrane there. Yeah. So, um, Joe, any thoughts on? Sister Act? Right I never wa- I never watched it, so I really can't say anything about uh, it. Yeah, I think it's on Disney Plus, so you can it probably is. watch it then. If you want. Oh, of course. It's it's under the Disney banner. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's move on then to number five. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, Kathy McJimmy was fantastic, but also Wendy McKenna as uh, Sister Mary Robert. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah. That's, I so always forget about her. Because I don't – did she do anything else after that? Oh, she did Sister Act 2. <laughs> Besides the sequel to the movie that she was in, uh, I actually I I Great. have her Wikipedia here. Um, and she's holy crap! They're making a Sister Act three. Yeah. Oh, oh cool. Um, I mean she's done a few things. Nothing nothing insane. Um. Yeah, and a few bit parts here and there. She's acting regularly, but um. Mostly TV, it looks like. Yeah, a lot of TV. She was in Air Bud. I'm assuming she played the mom in Air Bud. <laughs> I would guess so, yes. Yeah. And sadly, so. she also did not do her own singing voice. Okay. Yeah, uh, Andrea and Andrea Robinson did her singing voice, and her singing voice was... Um, it was still... Uh, since Shivers Done My Spine, it was so good. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Nice, yeah. nice. All right, well, let's move on to number five, uh, taking in $141.3 million. That is A Few Good Men. The man was dead. Let's go. I'm just wondering if you've ever heard the term Code Red. I've heard the term, yes. This past February, Colonel, you received a cautionary memo from the Commander-in-Chief of the Atlantic Fleet 
warning that the practice of enlisted men disciplining their own wasn't to be condoned by officers. Well, I submit to you that whoever wrote that memo has never faced the working end of a Soviet-made Cuban AK-47 assault rifle. However, the directive having come from the commander, I gave it its due attention. What is your point, Joe? She has no point. She often has no point, sir. It's part of her charm. We're out of here. Thank you. My point is that I think Code Red still go on down here. Do Code Red still happen on this base, Colonel? Joe, the Colonel doesn't need to answer that. Yes, he does. No, he really doesn't. Yeah, he really does. Colonel. You know, it just hit me. She outranks you, Danny. Yes, sir. I want to tell you something, and listen up, because I really mean this. You're the luckiest man in the world. There is nothing on this earth sexier, believe me, gentlemen, than a woman that you have to salute in the morning. Promote them all, I say, because this is true. If you haven't gotten a blowjob from a superior officer, well, you're just letting the best in life pass you by. Now, Steve writes, granted, it's not a high bar, but a few good men is the standard by which all courtroom dramas should be measured. Sadly, it made the Kevin Bacon game far too easy. (laughs) 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 Um, This is one of those movies that, like, it had Oscar bait written all over it, and I think it it definitely went home empty-handed. And Rob Reiner directed it. You would never know this is a Rob Reiner movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. But it's it's one of those movies that, like, I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan in the world, but I like him in this movie. It isn't like a – I like this movie in spite of Tom Cruise. I actually like everybody in this movie, with maybe the exception of Demi Moore because I think her character isn't that well written. No, she her, her character is pretty – Pretty empty for the most. Yeah. Part. Okay. Could you? But, hey, could you do me a favor? Put your hair up and just bust his balls for a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, that's basically all. She was the win. She's window dressing. Basically. Yeah. Like, it's like yeah. okay, we can't we can't have a movie full of roided up testosterone marines. You know, we we got to have like right. some estrogen in there. Um, right. Exactly. I, 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 At the same time, though, it's like all she's there to do is emasculate him and it right. make it, you know, it's it's like, uh, and I'm not saying that, like, because she's the literally the only woman in the entire movie. <laughs> but, you know, be, you know, before it, it, it's like, you're right, Andy, I'm not I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, especially since he went completely went off the rails, you know, in, yeah. the, last, in the last couple of decades. Yeah. But yeah, be, before before that. I would be. I would rank this as my favorite Tom Cruise movie, you know, even above the Mission Impossible movies because he actually has some. In this movie, he actually has some acting chops. You know, he actually does a good job of being an actor. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is saying something considering this is this is the Jack Nicholson show. Yeah. If I have to see any more like movie promos where the you can't handle the truth shows up. <laughs> Which is odd because I don't. I, I've 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 only seen this movie like maybe once or twice, and it's been a very long time since I last saw it. But I don't think that Jack Nicholson was actually in the movie a whole lot. No, no. He no, in I fact, mean, he was nominated for best supporting actor. Yeah, I think in total he was maybe on like for like ten minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Kiefer yeah. Sutherland was in the movie more than he was. Oh. Right, because, right, but but because he had the most pivotal scenes. Yeah. yeah. But everything, it's what everybody focuses, you know, uh, laser focuses on. Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland's character in this with his indecipherable accent. He had no honor. What? He had no honor. <laughs> uh, it's like Kevin Bacon. I forgot Kevin Bacon was in this movie. I, I, granted, it's been at least 15, maybe 20 years since I've last seen this movie. And, and to be fair, um, you know, to uh, debate, was it Steve on this one? Yeah. This, yeah, this one made it may have made the Kevin Bacon game easier, but not nearly as easy as JFK. Oh, oh you're right. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, <laughs> it, it's easier to lift the, up the actors that were not in JFK. So, yeah, just it out there. Yeah, and at least it is it is ninety two, and we're getting into the the prime season of the the Kevin Bacon game. Yeah, yeah, but when it's I mean this is what's that? When was Tremors? Tremors was eighty nine. Oh, okay. So we already did that. Yeah, one. I love Tremors. Yeah, but this is I mean it's or it's either eighty nine or ninety, but it's a um ninety. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. But I mean, a few good men is still—it's still a very good courtroom drama. I, I there was a lot of suspense in there, even though I didn't quite understand half of it, um, because yeah. I'm not a military person. But I thought it was just overall it was a very good movie. They didn't really hit a whole lot of the emotional notes, except when that that one guy—he um, was like going to be their key witness and. He shot himself, like right before oh, he was going to take the stand. Yeah, the, the, the lieutenant colonel, um, the uh, yeah, Jack Nicholson's XO, the exe- yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, and that was like, and then right after that, it's like some of the best acting Tom Cruise does in that movie is when he gets drunk after finding that out. Hmm. And it's it really is. I got. I, I think I, this is one I got to go back and watch again because I really enjoyed this one. So, anything else on uh, A Few Good Men before we move on nope. to number four? Mm-mm. Of course. Okay, well. Is he, oh my god. Yes. Who? Yes, Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. Is, is he in this? Yes, yeah, he is. He is, okay. I, 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 I'm fairly certain he was. But um, I couldn't remember. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's move on then to the next movie, number four, taking in one hundred forty-four point seven million dollars. Oh. Lethal Weapon Three. Oh, you, you know how to fill one of these in? Well, no time ago, let me see. Can't read it. It's primitive. No, without my glasses. You're not help. Can we speed this up, please? You may have nothing to do. I have things to do today. Okay? No, we can't. So will you shut up? Jay license. Yeah. License? Yeah, jaywalking? Yeah, jaywalking. I don't have it on me, okay? I wasn't driving, okay? I was walking. What do I need a walking license oh, now? God, let's just shoot. Oh, 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 get out of the way, Roger. I'm gonna drill him. Would you make it look like suicide? Get out of the way. Would you make it look like suicide? I don't care. I'm still gonna drill him. Get out of the way. Get out of here before my partner kills you. No, that way. Not that way. This way. Over there. Go round. It really made that much money. It, yeah. <laughs> it was definitely. Oh my God. 
cashing in on the franchise. No, it, it was cashing in on Joe Pesci is what it was. This movie sucks. It sucks so hard. It's oh, it was so bad. So... Yeah. I, I, and I paid movie money. For, I paid movie theater. Same here. Same here. Like an idiot. I paid movie money for it. I, because honestly, I mean, Lethal Weapon 2 was pretty good. And I figured, hey, you know, they can't screw it up that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of it was, by that point, they had rested into some very, very comfortable tropes. Um, you know, Danny Glover is still just inches away from retirement being too old for this shit. Joe right. Pesci's got to do is, okay, okay, okay. Um, and Mel Gibson has to be a horrible sexist and racist. I mean, those well, yeah, those are the tropes that they had. But they they also, I mean, they th- this movie is where they finally gave him, like, a permanent, she's not going to die in this movie, love interest in Rene Russo. Um, but it's just... the. The only thing that would have made this movie good is if I got a five-minute scene of just Joe Pesci being riddled with so many bullets that the body can't fall to the ground because it's just being held up with more bullets because his character, Leo Getz, is – he was good for one movie, and he was barely good in that one. Like He, he outstayed his welcome halfway through Lethal Weapon 2. Right, exactly. Oh, God. And I, again, yeah, I paid movie money for this because I'm an idiot. I share in your shame, Andy. I share in your shame. Oh, so angry. So angry. I don't think, I don't um, think I've ever seen it. Oh, it's bad. Well, you know what the sick thing is, though? Lethal Weapon 4 is even worse. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever actually seen any of the Lethal Weapon movies all the way through. One and two are both decent. Yeah. And at, it's at it's like point, I think I'm there's just, a little other yeah. At, at this point, I'm just I'm. It, it's odd considering you know Kevin Spacey and I'm okay with watching like um few um uh, usual suspects. Usual suspects, yeah. But um, Mel Gibson, it I I find him very very tough to watch now. Yeah. No, I, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Oh God, I can't. Yeah, I can't watch anything. I can't watch anything with Mel Gibson in it. I, I just I, can't tolerate it. I'm I'm okay with Braveheart and Chicken Run, and that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the other thing. Brave, Braveheart used to be like my favorite, all, one of my favorite all-time movies, but now I can't bear it anymore. Yeah. And, I mean, and Chicken that, Run's easy. I mean, it's forgive, animated. It's I mean, forgiving, so easy forgiving to do. The, yeah, forgiving the acute ina- historical inaccuracies of Braveheart, the fact that it's Mel <laughs> Gibson is like, oh, no, no more. Yeah, I to say it, the the Hamlet that Mel Gibson was in is more the Hamlet that I understand than the fucking Kenneth Branagh piss off version. Jeez, that's, saying <laughs> that's saying a lot. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I it's just you know the thing is also is because the early nineties were so chock a block with those Joel Silver, um, Michael Kamen score movies that you don't need lethal weapon because you have die hard <laughs> or you have like a thousand and one other i mean hell you had under siege come out that year oh and that was a big hit it's like the only like you know in the rankings of watchable steven seagal movies might be the only one 
because he doesn't have to run it. He doesn't have to run in it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of things I can't stand, like I yeah I can like yeah Mel Gibson is a terrible person. I can watch a couple of his movies and be okay, but Steven Seagal, oh, like he is I got a an, monster. I got another briefcase of fifty thousand dollars. What do I do with this? I, mean, I, I just my, my, pissed uh, myself at the mafia again. <laughs> my uh, coworker. Go for it. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, as far as I know, uh, Steven Seagal still remains the worst host ever on Saturday Night Live. That's been a, yep. He has not been beat for being a horrible person. Yeah. Like, and, that's, and that's saying a lot, considering that even Elon Musk uh, hosted it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Like, Mel Gibson has horrible opinions, but Steven Seagal is downright rapey. Fuck that. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my my um, my uh, co-worker Eric and I, we always get a laugh at, at the fact that um, Steven Seagal had to pay had to pay Gary Busey not to be in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a briefcase of fifty thousand dollars. You can take that, Gary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. he, he literally Gary Busey was had was under contract to be in the sequel, even though his character was blown up in the first movie. So and and um, Seagal, being the producer, had to pay it out of his own salary. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I got another fifty thousand dollar briefcase around here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> if you don't get the reference, I, I, I know Mike and Cat, uh, sorry Joe and Catherine have both listened to the three part dollop episode on. Yep. Um, Steven Seagal, Mike, go find the dollop and listen to all three parts of Steven Seagal. Uh, oh, my. I, I don't like to hear anything called dollop. Thank you very much. Dollop? It's just the name of the show. Yeah, it, it sounds disgusting. <laughs> it sounds like a little bit of sour cream. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's like Then that makes me think of the sound that sour cream sound makes when you pop it. I just, uh, a, little, a little dollop of daisy. That's all it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on then. Number three, $162.8 million, and uh, a movie that Steve says, I'm not going to go on another rant about Batman Returns, but I, but know that I already understood what anticipate, dis, um, disappointment felt like before The Phantom Menace. Um, Steve and I will fight the, the, the battle forever on this one because I fucking love Batman Returns. Admire your handiwork. Touring the riot scene. Gravely assessing the devastation. Upstanding mayor stuff. You're not the mayor. Things change. What do you want? Ah, the direct approach. I admire that in a man with a mask. <laughs> you don't really think you'll win, do you? Things change. Meow.
how could he? What are you saying? Oh, oh, oh. He's, 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 okay, he's just being contrarian now, isn't he? No, he he has never liked it. That's the thing. He's never liked. It. I've known Steve for about twenty five years. He's never liked it. So look at it. It's one of the best comic book. It's not just one of the best Batman movies. One of the best comic book movies ever made. No. It's had. It has definitely had a a resurgence in terms of its popularity, especially now because. And I I had mentioned this on M's show because she just did Batman Returns, and I said that it, the beauty of Batman Returns is that it's got enough darkness, but doesn't lean into being edge lordy, and right. it's it goes funny without it being too shoe mockery. For me, for me, it is. It is one of the best uh, Tim Burton movies, but it is nowhere near one of the best Batman movies or comic book movies. Okay. Because it's a far better Tim Burton movie than it is a Batman movie. Well, I think it was the marriage of everything that made it so, uh, to me, made it so good because I could finally see a director's voice show up in a comic book movie. Um, yeah. More yeah, so I, than the Superman movies. I, I think that this movie. Because because Batman itself was so hamstrung by by the producers and by you know we had to do it this way we had to do it this way. Tim mm-hmm. Burton had built clout, so if it hadn't been anything less than a Tim Burton movie, I think people would have been a little more off put by it. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I don't know because for me, the uh, comic book movies work best when the director's vision and the comic book vision kind of intertwine. This one, I think, for me, Tim Burton's vision overpowers the comic book vision of it, and it makes it a, a fine Tim Burton movie, but it's it, it just doesn't feel quite Batman right to me. I, I really I'm just absorbing. <laughs> Come on, you knew this. Yes. I told you. I, know, I, I know that we we've had multiple conversations about Batman oh, yes. Returns on this show. Sorry, yeah. Catherine, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this being one of my favorite Christmas movies ever. So I'm not going to get too into the weeds, but I will say it's like, you know, it's also, you know, one of the reasons is that it just hit right at the time. You know, nine, you know, the early '90s. We're getting into grunge. We're getting into that dark spell. You know, everybody's wanting to get right. into that kind of thing. So when Joel Schumacher took over and was like, "We're going to go back to like Adam West Batman," it's like. Dude, that's not what the '90s are about. Get your flannel on and get with it, okay? <laughs> well, the thing, well, the thing is, it, it, in my view, Tim Burton's gothicness fits the Batman mold, I, I think, yeah. perfectly. And like Catherine said, it was perfect for the '90s. And when Schumacher came along, it was such a shock to the system. It's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? I, I mean, the thing is also is that this movie is made not by Batman because it never is. It's all about the villains. And I mean, Jesus Christ, Michelle Pfeiffer in this movie is so oh, she's so good. good. Oh yeah, and, and I will I will fully admit Michelle Pfeiffer is the best of best of all of the those first four Batman villains. Um, she's better than uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker. She's better than Danny DeVito's Penguin. She's better than anything in the other two movies. Yeah. And and also like yeah, I had a coworker who was uh he hadn't gotten out much, you know, he's much younger and he hadn't gotten out much and he was like, you know, the person that would be a really good penguin is Danny DeVito, right? And we all looked at him and it's like Are you joking or no, wait, 
you've never seen Batman Returns. <laughs> I think that the makeup job that they did on him, it worked for that time. Yeah. And, you know, I've received ridicule from Steve on this, but I truly don't believe that you could have gotten away with com- a comic book accurate penguin in 1992 on film. I truly yeah. believe that, you know, just a fat guy in a tuxedo wasn't going to work as well as oh. just this, you know, dark, demented, like, fish man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 way they, the way they did it was very interesting. It spoke to people that didn't know the comics. We could still get there. The whole, like, I'm going to call it a dumb show because there's no voice. You know, nobody talks in the, like, the opening sequence, but you get the whole backstory. It's yeah. so formed and well shot. You know exactly where he came from and why he's so messed up and, you know, all the everything. And it's, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Any other thoughts on Batman Returns before we move on to our our top two here? No. Mike? Uh, Yeah, like like you said, we've discussed it so many times. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I... I get what Danny Vita was doing. I just not the way I wanted to go. Okay. And that's fair. Yeah. And to be honest, to be fair, I probably wouldn't have gone with the penguin as a villain anyway. I, I don't mind the penguin, but he would not have been my first choice. Not, he wouldn't have been my top 10. In 92, it was the next logistical thing. I, I, I I, I fully agree that they couldn't have done Riddler for next because he's too similar to Joker. I think they had to go with the Penguin. The, pe- the Penguin is a very different type of Batman villain versus um, versus Joker. He's very he's very iconic. He's definitely a very iconic. You know, even if you're not super familiar with Batman, you've probably heard of the Penguin. Right. Hey, he didn't like. You know, he, he he did his thing. They did. They brought back the umbrella shtick, but they didn't. <laughs> but the, but it still worked. What is that supposed to do? Hypnotize me? No, just give you a splitting headache. Boom. Got it. And Walken is great in that movie, too. Mm-hmm. He's just like he, he's just Christopher Walken being Christopher Walken. And I'm just here for that. He's walking in the winter <laughs> wonderland. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the uh, like. The, like the later movies where they just, you know, a lot of a lot of comic book movies can't juggle like three villains. No, I've never I've never seen another comic book movie juggle three villains and have them all have strong characters and the, the superheroes still have his thing going on and it be believable. They've all flaw, fallen flat. Uh, Batman Returns is the only one where you can have three villains and it still works. So Actually, you you know who I probably yeah. given Tim Burton you know who I probably would have rather have seen would be a scarecrow. Mm. Tim Burton's scarecrow I think would have been the stuff of nightmares. I, I definitely think if Tim Burton had continued with the series that would have made an appearance. But the thing is that scarecrow wasn't as well as well known to just a casual a, a casual audience. Yeah, now scarecrow didn't become a thing until I, the animated series came out. The, the animated and that's what I was going to say. Batman Returns, the animated series came off the heels of Batman Returns. So I feel like as maybe the third movie that could have worked or the fourth movie, depending on, you know, where they wanted to take it. Instead, you had to wait for uh, Nolan Mm -hmm. to do it. 
Yeah, and and like you know, Tim Burton wanted to move on, and Michael Keaton wanted to move on. And then Michael Michael Keaton also read the script for the Schumacher one. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm good. I think, uh, yeah, I think I've had enough. I think it's there's serious acting in my uh, <laughs> in, in my future now. So, I think, oh, yeah. I remember reading was that Michael Keaton didn't want to be typecast. He wanted right. to do other stuff. He'd done other stuff before. He wanted to do other things again. He, you know, he just didn't want to keep being Batman. He's just like, I've done a good job, and he did. Yeah. So. All right, well, now let's move on to number two, $173.5 million at the box office, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. We'd like to offer you a complimentary suite while you're here. It's a penthouse with a view of the park. I think you'll find it satisfactory. It was recently vacated by the Countess of Worcestershire. What kind of hotel allows a child to check in alone? The boy had a very convincing story. What kind of idiots do you have working here? The finest in New York. Uh, yeah, Jesus I saw that movie a couple years prior to that as uh, Home Alone 1. Yeah, same here, Mike. <laughs> Joe, what were you saying? I was like, how, did, how the hell did this make more money than Batman Returns? It, you know what? It's You can never underestimate the... The, the power of the family-friendly movie. Keep in mind the whole McDonald's kerfuffle that was Batman Returns versus That's Home true. Alone 2. Safe, sterile, a shot-for-shot shot remake five years before Gus Van Sant got his hands on Psycho. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, this movie is almost identical oh, yeah. to the first movie. And it, I, I paid movie money for this, and I, I walked out of the theater so pissed off. Oh, yeah, plot point for plot point. <laughs> Everything is exactly the same. I was so angry. It's just not it's not fun. It's just like watching, you know, Kevin get, you know, one up a bunch of idiots again. Yeah. Well, by this time, you're just thinking Kevin's just an obnoxious kid. Oh, and yeah. You know he's what? a obnoxious yeah. kid. If you actually look at the, the, the injuries he inflicts on people, they would have died like 10 times over. Yeah, literally drop bricks on Marv's head from a great distance. I have not seen this one. I saw the original, and I've would... seen this one too. Yeah, you don't need to see the you don't need to see the second one to, <laughs> to have seen it. As long as you've seen the first one, you're good. The last I just thought was yeah. over people's shoulders on the plane, going. Oh, see this at all? This also, by the way, folks. I know we need to talk about this. Has the most unbelievable scene in the history of cinema. All 150 years of cinema, there is nothing more unbelievable than Donald Trump helping a small child. Yeah, yeah. out of the goodness of his heart. Uh, doesn't have, what? He doesn't have a he doesn't have a goodness, let alone a heart. No, yeah, and that's exactly. the thing. It's like there was a there was an agreement that he had that if you shoot in his hotels, he has to make an appearance. So this is what they decided to do, and everyone was going to have a hearty laugh at that, and not, not realize how fucked our entire timeline would be. But um, besides right, because, the point, like there, uh, this like movie there. is this movie is a heartless remake of a movie called a little independent film called Home Alone, uh, directed also by Christopher, a guy named Christopher Columbus. Uh, Chris, by the way, folks. Spoiler alert for for part two. The name Christopher Columbus is going to come up a few more times. <laughs> um, yeah, I just – I have no place in my heart for Home Alone 2. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, I, I, I got nothing. 
Nope. All right. Well, all right. So we haven't heard from Em in a little bit, and that's fine because guess what? She also wanted to talk about the number one movie of the year, taking in $217.3 million, and that is Aladdin. It's hard to make out. Ten thousand years will give you such a crick in the neck. Hang on a second. Whoa! Wow! Does it feel good to be out of there? I'm telling you, nice to be back, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, where are you from? What's your name? Uh, uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Hello, Aladdin. Nice to have you on the show. Can we call you Al, or maybe just Din? Or how about Laddie? Sounds like here, boy. Come on, Laddie. <laughs> I must have hit my head harder than I thought. Do you smoke? Mind if I do? <laughs> oh, sorry, Cheetah. I hope I didn't sing the fur. Yo, Rockman. Haven't seen you in a few millennia. Give me some tassel. Yeah, yo, yo. Say, you're a lot smaller than my last master. Either that or I'm getting bigger. Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? Wait, wait a minute. I'm your master? That's right. He can be taught. What would you wish of me? The ever impressive. The one contained. But never so anyway let's let's move on to another one okay it's aladdin uh this to me is a top three uh disney oh beyond a shadow of a doubt this is the movie that i watched so many times as a kid i could quote it off by heart from the very start of the script pretty much to the very end uh yeah all of the songs i knew them yep uh, <laughs> uh it's it was pivotal to me growing up this was the movie that i had on all the time it was it was this and then it was the lion king uh well, then it was Beauty and the Beast. Then it was The Lion King. Uh, but th but this was the one that really kind of stoked my love of animation. Yeah. Um, what, what I what I love about it is that it's it's so different. It sets us it, honestly. It sets us up for the current era of Disney animation that we're seeing now in terms of the the more insidery metaphysical humor. Um, it's something that we would get glimpses of. In you know, in the Lion King, in uh, Hercules, in the Emperor's New Crew, but this really kicked that off. That Disney can make fun of themselves successfully. Yeah, it's responsible for a lot of things. Um, you know, it when you look at a character like the genie, and yeah. you look at them bringing Robin Williams in, which was something that they didn't do. They didn't bring in big name actors for roles like this. Right. And now, I mean, you know, pretty much every Hollywood actor has had some role in animation. I always argue that just because you're a great live action actor, it doesn't necessarily make you a great animation actor because you yeah. have to bring something to the performance. You know, it's like someone like Scarlett Johansson. She's great in live action. 
I don't know how great she would be doing like an animated role, just as an example. Um, she was great in her, to be fair. So maybe that's a bad example. I fell in love with Robin Williams as the genie and it was a love that I had for him and I still have for him every day. I I can't tell you how much I love him. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen the test footage that they – I think it was uh, the, the animator Eric Gold, I think his name is Eric Goldberg – had done to convince them to hire Robin Williams. He, they took a piece of his stand-up routine, and he animated it w with the genie. Yeah. So, so they, it was good to have an animator who could keep up with that. Because, I yeah. mean, you, you, you would let Robin Williams just kind of go off and do his own thing, but to have an animator that can just to keep up with that, or a head animator, because it's not just one person who's drawing everything. Their wrists would just fall off. Um, it, it just it – is, it is a wonder because it's also – it's hand-drawn animation Yeah. with very little CG. I mean the only CG thing in that movie – well, the – some of the Cave of Wonder, I believe, is CG. The actual Cave yeah. of Wonder is CG. But the yeah. only piece that was like obviously CG, like I, I in 1992, watching the theater, going, "Oh," was the um, one of the spires, the spire that gets shot into the Arctic or whatever oh, cold yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is the only piece of obvious CG I could tell. Everything else was seamless. Yeah, I mean, even if you take a character like the Magic Carpet. Yeah. He's animated in such a way that although he's CG, he still looks hand-drawn. Um, and considering this is, you know, obviously we're talking about 1992. This was, you know, several years before Toy Story. Um, yeah. And the fact that they were doing this, they, they, they'd obviously dabbled in a bit of CG in the past, but they'd never done anything to the size of the Cave of Wonders, the lava, the carpet. You know, um, the 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 entrance to the Cave of Wonders, you know, when it's like a roaring lion, um, I believe that's CG, too. But, yeah, I, I think I could I can agree with you that the, the turret when it lands in the snow. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, you look at it now and it, it's just such a finely tuned piece of 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 storytelling and art. And it's just. It's one of those things that, you know, when Disney went through a period of, oh, we're going to make everything live action. I was actually quite excited about the live action Aladdin because I thought to myself, if they can pull this off, this could actually be really good. I wasn't the biggest fan of Beauty and the Beast, um, you know, and, and I know no. we've spoken about live action stuff before. And, you know, you know how I feel about live action. Yeah. But I was genuinely quite excited to see Aladdin. Um, and obviously, I think Will Smith did an admirable job. I think if you're going to get someone, you get Will Smith. But overall, the live action was a bit of a disappointment for me because it just didn't didn't stand up to, to, to my childhood of watching Aladdin and just going, wow, this movie is great. The songs are great. It looks great. The characters are great. You've got a princess who is you know so strong and she knows what she wants and okay there they fall in love at the end and it's it's all nice but right. to have a character like her it was really important for you know a girl of my age to see a princess who 
wasn't just all about being a princess, that she wanted to actually go out and explore and she didn't want to be shackled, you know, she wanted to have her own life and that was really important. Um, and yeah, yeah uh, I can't say enough good things about Aladdin. It, it, it basically changed the game as far as uh, I'm concerned, as far as Disney is concerned, as far as animation is concerned. It's incredible. Yeah. And to jump off on that, uh, Steve says, Aladdin, my girlfriend at the time made me perform an impromptu duet of a whole new world with her at a party once, and it was humiliating, and I'm still mad about it, Michelle. Apparently. <laughs> um, still to this day, one of my favorite, if not my fa absolute favorite, Disney animated movie. This is in my top three favorite Disney yeah, animated easily. movies. Yeah, yeah, I can't hate on it. Yeah, I like this better than I like The Lion King, actually. I think out of all their Renaissance films, this is my favorite. Uh, I, I love The Lion King, and it's usually it's usually kind of going back and forth, but most of the time Aladdin will come out on top because Aladdin is, in general, a lot more fun of a movie. It is. It is, yeah. it is more yeah. joyful to watch. Um, the, the gags work a little better. The thing is also is that Aladdin clips along at a nice pace. Yeah. And yeah. and I like I again, I love The Lion King, but I feel like Aladdin because of that frantic Robin Williams energy. Um because you know, it just it, it, it the movie has to live and die off that genie and it did so in spades. Yeah. Yeah. As I understand it, they like gave him an entire table of props to riff off of. Yeah. And and there was one point where he like picked up a bra and was like, man, I should have called her back and like tosses it aside. <laughs> oh, but, well, yeah, I mean, you can actually go onto YouTube and find a list of um, uh, Robert William outtakes as the genie and see all uh, the gags that he they didn't use. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I guess they could have filled like a like a five hour movie with all of his material. Yeah, yeah. No, you just let him. You let him rip, and then pick the good stuff. And there's, it's all going to be good stuff. So you have to pick the best stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What's great though is that the fact that at the end there was actually a kind of an an, uh, an arc for the genie as well as Aladdin. Yeah. You know, he wasn't just the ex machina the entire time. Right. Yeah. You know, he he actually had his own like personality. He had his own desires. He had his own you know feelings and you know when he you know when jafar has the lamp and now uh, and the, the genie has to say i sorry aladdin i can't do anything you can you can see the hurt in his face you can hear it in his voice yeah it's, really, it's my favorite all um my favorite all-time uh, robert williams role as well i i agree it's it's definitely up there so Joe, any thoughts on Aladdin? You've been quiet. No, it's just, there's really nothing you can add. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I have to sell Aladdin to you, it's <laughs> right, exactly. And it, it, the movie speaks for itself. And it's one of those movies that it's it's basically timeless. I could I could sit down and watch it watch it again and not get not get tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta watch this. It's been a while since I've actually sat down to watch this, but maybe after the holiday season, I'll sit down and watch it again. Cause hey, Disney Plus. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And yeah, and I will say, as much as I, I'm, you know, this is again my favorite animated movie. I still really, really enjoyed the live action as well. 
I like I, I I can't remember if I actually left this in with my, from my conversation with M. I think I cut it, but I, the live action like exceeded my my in the basement expectations. So I liked it, but I don't know if I actually ever need to revisit it again. I think the once was was fine for me because I have this one and I love this one. I, I love right, it. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the thing, and and really that's kind of one of the things with the the live action recreations is like, what? Yeah, I can watch it once and enjoy it, but I can always go back to the original. Yeah. You know? So anyway, well, that folks will wrap us up for part one where we've discussed all that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all the folks on social media who gave us their thoughts on movies. Thank you, M for joining me for the first half of this. You'll hear more from her in the second half. It should be coming up in about a week or so. Um, if you like, if you're not familiar with M from Verbal Diorama, you've obviously not been listening to this show. Uh, but you can find her at the exact same apps that you you listen to us on. Listen to her show. Give her a five-star rating on iTunes. You can also follow her on all the social media. She is Verbal Diorama everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Mastodon, Hive. Yeah, we all did it. Um, <laughs> and when we return next week, we will be talking about the rest of the releases that weren't covered in social media or all that. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, if this is your first time listening to, to, to uh, Geek Salad, thank you. Uh, Please subscribe. Listen to us whenever you can. We've got a full archive that you can get anywhere. You get your podcast, Google, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple. We are there. Give us a five-star rating on Apple if that is your podcast use of choice or not, but that's apparently the only one that counts. You can also check us out on YouTube at Geek Salad Podcast where Mike and I do our weekly movie reviews. Um, so you can check those out there, subscribe, and you'll also get the audio for all of our episodes there as well. Uh, I think that is about it for now. So until next time, I'm Andy. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Catherine. Go forth and be nerdful. Talk to you in a week. Take care. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!